you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 4. As we continue to share about the miracle done at the beautiful gate. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, Luke writes, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. But it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. For this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And now, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over forty years old, upon whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you this morning, Father, it's our desire that your spirit would guide and lead. <coughs> God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, that you would uh, be glorified and magnified in this place, Lord God. We want to receive that which you have for us this morning, Father, and to make application to our life. 
to not just be men who hear only, but those who hear and do. So God, have your way. As we sang, God, be glorified and magnified in this place. As we offer something different to you, something more than a song, our life. We ask your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we consider the scripture this morning, we want to be reminded of the man who sat at the gate beautiful. He spent much of his life waiting for alms, someone to give him something. We know that where he stood, Jesus passed by many times. We know the disciples passed by him many times. But on this particular day, the Holy Spirit moved Peter and John to stop, to do something different. They said to him, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And immediately his legs were whole. The the lameness of this man required him to be carried. So there was something visible about his legs, visible about his feet. And immediately the scripture says he was whole. But not only was he made physical whole... Physically whole, he was made spiritually whole. In that moment, in that time when he was receiving healing for his physical body, he was also receiving healing for his spiritual body. There was something happening spiritually within the man that we can't see. But his life is transformed. And as the men around the temple area, the people who were there, as they see, and remember, they're in the court of the men. So we're dealing primarily with men. That's why the reference to to 5,000 men a little bit later. They're in the court of the men and the men are all blown away. What has occurred? And, And so they come around Peter and John and they're looking at them like they did some incredible miracle of their own power. Peter in fact says, why do you look at us as though we did this? And he taught them about Jesus Christ who was crucified. Who rose again on the third day who ascended to the Father, and who was offering to them salvation. And as they're preaching, and as the people are gathered around, as all that is happening, chapter 4, verse 1 occurs. The priests, there were 24 courses of priests that worked at the temple area. And the priests are seeing this crowd emerge. And now this is nothing new. Riots and problems broke out then as they do now at the temple and so the priests were aware of it and they saw something going on and they contact the captain of the temple guard who is a priest who is in charge of making sure that the area of the temple is secure and there's no ruckus beginning so they call him they also call the sanhedrin the ruling body the same body who two months earlier had put jesus christ on the cross The high priests, the other priests, the scribes, anybody of any importance swoops in at that moment while Peter is still teaching and and still expressing all that Jesus Christ has for him. In fact, you'll remember as we concluded in chapter 3, the final verse says that to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Right then, 
they get arrested. Service is interrupted, albeit it's in the open and it's outside and it's at the temple in the court. The, these, these men, the scripture declares them to us, are greatly disturbed. This is what we see when we look at this. One of the things that we want to point out from the scripture, whenever Jesus is preached, there will be conflict. Listen. Wherever Jesus is preached, there will be conflict. There will be those who receive the word, and there will be those who reject the word. There will be those who have a desire to arrest. And there will be those who desire to bow their knee before the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Didn't Jesus say it would be that way? He said, you think I, I come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. Now man's enemies will be those within his own family. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ in a family that is not full of believers, you have experienced... Your family coming against your faith. Jesus said it'd be that way. He's the dividing point. So as Peter and John are, are teaching, and as the hearts of men are being affected, immediately while that's going on, these guys swoop in. They swoop in, the scripture tells in verse 2, being greatly disturbed. So one of the things we see, one of the conflicts when we teach or when we preach or we share Jesus is anger. And listen, if you're honest, if you've been faithful, if you've shared your faith, you've experienced that. You, you can sometimes just bring up the name of Jesus and people are angry. You don't think it's true? Do it. Just do it. But don't do it at the Democratic National Convention, for crying out loud. <laughs> and if we want any idea, <coughs> consensus of where the political thought of the world is, I think we see it so clearly there. And, and please don't think that means that the Republicans are all Christians, by the way. They just didn't embarrass themselves by bringing it up to a vote. Or whether or not they were going to accept God or, or, or Israel. But I think what it shows is a condition of the heart of our nation. Once upon a time, a nation under God. Indivisible. Right? It's not the same nation today. It's not the same place. It's okay. Our, our challenge hasn't changed. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, go into all the nations, to all the world, and make what? Disciples of all men. Looking for those people that you might be able to pour into. One of the things I'm excited about in regard to uh, Jason Richardson being able to, to come on and be a part of our, of our relatively small staff is the idea that I get a Timothy. See, I want a Timothy. I want a person that I can pour into and then step back and punt and see where he lands. He's not sure what that all means yet or what he signed on for. But the idea being 
that we're always raising up another generation to go, another generation to serve, another generation to, to be. This is the call that God gave us, right? To go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to be doing that this afternoon. Teaching them the Word of God. We're doing that right now. Pouring lives, pouring our lives into one another to raise each other up, to lift one another up, that they might be able to move forward, be fruitful in ministry. Well, as this is going on, as they are are seeking to do this very work, and Peter and John are teaching, anger comes. One of the things, one of the outpourings, whenever we seek to teach Jesus Christ. And the groups that come, we see them here in the scriptures, the Bible tells us. They're the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. An interesting point about the Sadducees is the Sadducees had some, well, they were in power, ultimately. They tended to be the wealthy of the area, and also they didn't believe in the whole Bible. They only believed what Moses said was what they needed to live by. So they, their Bibles had five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. As a result of that narrow view of scripture, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in miracles, and they didn't believe that God would infiltrate your life. They didn't, one of their problems as they look at this situation is, in not believing in miracles, and they had the same problem with Jesus, is it's hard to refute when there's a guy who had shriveled up legs standing in front of you. So they're angry, they're frustrated. They also don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. The only life that matters is the one you live right here, right now. There was no future judgment. There is no uh, future standing before God. What we have is all we have. That's who the Sadducees are. And they're hearing the message of Jesus risen from the dead. They're hearing a message of hope. They're hearing a message of future salvation and a future resurrection. And they're angry. And so they come and they arrest Peter and John. Scripture goes on in verse 4, it says, or the end of verse 3, they put him in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Isn't it interesting? The only time they ever broke this rule was against Jesus. They had his trial at night. But Peter and John, they arrest, they, they, they wait for the morning, they wait for the following day. Verse 4, However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. See, when you share Jesus, you can have anger and you can have arrest. But you also have acceptance. There was no altar call because they got drug out. There was nobody standing in front of them and praying with them the, 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 prayer, the sinner's prayer, the prayer of repentance. What there was, was a number of men who believed what they heard and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture says, and their number came to be about 5,000 men. Now, there's some argument over whether this 5,000 is added to the 3,000 prior, or if this 5,000 includes the 3,000 prior. Who cares? The only people who argue about that is people who are worried about attendance. Not worried about attendance. What I'm worried about is souls being added to the kingdom 
of Jesus Christ. And so we, that's what we see. Their souls were added. The, the church is growing. They don't have a building. They don't have a place to meet. They're meeting outside, corporately together. We know there's at least 5,000 of them now after the second message that, that Peter is preaching. And that's just the men. So the women and children, on top of that, they're gathering. This was a big church, folks. This was not a little church. This was a big church. It was a big move. God was doing amazing things. Whenever we share Jesus, people will be angry. And one day here in our country, there will be arrests. Mark my words. Sooner, if the current administration remains. But it doesn't make any difference. There will be arrests here for teaching the word. What the Bible says. They already are not happy about it. For teaching what the word says. But there will also be acceptance. There will also be people who receive. People who believe. Who put their faith in the message that they heard. And that's what we see taking place. 5,000. Souls are added. There is belief in the midst of it all. But in verse 5, we see things move toward a trial. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many were of, as of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, biblically, the high priest was to be of the family of Aaron through the line of Zadok. They were chosen and they served for life. But when Israel was conquered after the captivity and Rome came to power, they stripped the authority of the high priest. And they made it a political office and they sold it to the highest bidder. And the highest bidder's name was Annas. He was a wealthy man and he served as high priest first. He served for a few years and the, and the fellow who was in charge before Pilate put him down but lifted up his son-in-law. His name is Caiaphas. After Caiaphas will come five of Annas' sons who will rule as high priest after him. Now, at one time, high priest's responsibility was to pray for the nation, to remove the nation's sin, to offer the sacrifice on Yom Kippur. But the primary uh, uh, job of the high priest at this point was to, to decide who sold what in the courts of the temple. Does that remind you of something? There was this time when Jesus walked in that he said, My house should be a house of prayer. And what did he do? He cast out the money changers and the people making profit. Whose guys were those? Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, other sons of Annas, here mentioned in Scripture. This is what the authority of the priesthood had become under Roman rule. The, 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 the structure of it being broken... And as they're here in this place, and as they're gathered together, it says, <coughs> When they had set them in their midst, they asked this question, By what power and what name have you done this? Now, we should remember that, because they did the same thing to Jesus. 
The word for power, by the way, is the exact same word for the word authority. By what authority do you do these things? You remember when they asked Jesus that? And he said, okay, I'll answer your question. Let me ask you this. John the Baptist, was his authority from heaven or from earth? And if you remember, they wouldn't answer the question because they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. They said, everybody knows John's a prophet, and so we can't say that it's from earth. And if we say it's from heaven, he's going to ask us, why didn't we obey him? So they said, we don't know. So Jesus said, then I'm not going to answer your question either by what authority I do this. But the scripture tells us, all authority under heaven and earth is given to the Son. All authority, all power. The same guys who put Jesus on the cross, who branded him a heretic, are now asking these who are preaching in his name, by whose authority are you doing these things? You see, they're asking them to incriminate themselves. All they have to do is say, we're from Jesus, we're preaching Jesus. Jesus has already been crucified, already condemned. They're guilty. So they ask. And the very next thing that the scripture lays out for us, in the trial, this this trial that they face. The very next thing in verse 8 is the call that we need. Whenever we want to share Jesus and we're afraid of the conflicts, we need to have courage. What is it that, that Joshua was told by Moses? What is it that, that, that Joshua was told by the Lord over and over again? Only be strong and what? Very courageous. Have courage. Have courage. We need courage. If we're going to share, we're going to have people angry. We might be arrested. We may go to trial. People will receive and accept. But there's fear that wells up within us when we, when we want to step out and be faithful to what God's called us to do. So we need courage. Where do we find that courage? It's in verse 8. It's in verse 8. We don't want to miss it. Listen, verse 8 says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said. It's Holy Spirit speech. Jesus told them, in Luke uh, chapter 12, we read about it. He said, when you, you will be arrested and you will be tried. And when that time comes, don't worry about what you'll answer, for the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. Isn't that what the Lord told them? The Holy Spirit will give you the word. So here in chapter 8, what's it say? We want to have courage then we've got to learn to exercise our spiritual muscles. And our spiritual muscles require us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit becomes a resident in our life the moment we believe. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is with me. But I need Holy Spirit power. That's what Pentecost was all about. I need the epi, I need the overflow I need to be filled up to overflowing so that that power in me begins to affect people around me. Now listen, it doesn't mean that God takes control of me like a puppet and he dances me around. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. The prophet is obedient to what the spirit is speaking in his or her life. When the spirit is encouraging me to speak, he has already promised me the power to do so. If I will be obedient... And open my mouth. So here we have Peter facing the same guys. He 
60 days earlier denied Christ three times to a little slave girl. Now he's facing the ones who put Jesus on the cross, who have the power to put him there as well. What does he need? He needs courage. Where's that courage going to be found? In a life submitted to the Holy Spirit. Before, he didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, he does. Now he has it. And he's filled. He's filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he answered, Rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if, remember I've shared with you a couple of neat examples in the Greek If there are four class conditions to the word if. This is if in the first class, which means something is being introduced that is absolutely true. And the way that it is being introduced here, he's saying, since we are being judged for healing this man, since we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, then let it be known to you all, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. What I love about this is we have Holy Spirit speech relying on the word of God. The Holy Spirit brings through Peter the word The things that God had shown him, the things that God had told him. For you and I, we have the benefit of the New Testament by which we can pull out these same stories. For Peter, he lived it. He was there. He saw these things. His hands handled him. His eyes saw them. He's being an eyewitness. But he's sharing, he's relying on the Word of God. In fact, he's going to go to the Psalms in a minute and share from the Psalms. Whenever we are looking to be a witness of Jesus Christ, and we want to be a witness, and we want to be courageous for Him, sometimes, rather than being courageous for Him and relying on the Holy Spirit, we instead become obnoxious. Have you ever met obnoxious people? Occasionally, I have been charged with being obnoxious. I know you find that hard to believe. I did as well. I don't want to be considered obnoxious because of what I say. And I don't want someone to be angry because of what I say. If they want to be angry, they need to be angry because of what God said. Thus saith the Lord. It's not for me to give my opinion. It's for me, by the power of the Holy Spirit... To share the word of God. This is what God's word says. If you're upset about it, you're not upset with me, you're upset with it. I need to share the word in truth. And in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Peter's doing. He's sharing the truth of the word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't taste like Peter at all. Remember last time we talked about that that idea when we run and we want to get a, a drink of water and so we walk over to the hose and we turn it on. Have you ever done that? Just dying of thirst? And you turn the hose on and you take a drink and you're sorry you ever bothered. Because it tastes like rubber. It tastes like that green rubber they make a hose out of. And you think, oh, that was horrible. 
That is what it's like when we share the word of God in the power of ourselves. The living water of the word of God tastes like that green rubber hose. But when we share the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like having that water run through a hose without that taste at all. Just have the taste of the water. When we share in the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean it's not confrontational. It doesn't mean it's not convicting. It means it doesn't taste like me. It is all about Him. It is about the Lord. It is about what does God's Word say? What is God's Word laying out for us? To be willing to be obedient to what it says. So Peter, he shares in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not afraid. And he shares the word. He shares the word. He tells them. Now, is this word convicting? Sure. He tells them they're the ones who crucified the Christ. By their judgment, they put him on the cross. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just tell them about the things that have been done wrong. He says that through this man whom you crucified, this fellow here stands whole. He goes on to share from the word in verse 11. He says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief of the corner. That's from Psalm 118. You know what it's referring to? A little dream that Daniel interpreted in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he forgets it. Anybody ever had a dream and said, wow, that was an incredible dream, but you forgot what it is? Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream just like that. He had a dream, and he remembered it was really important, but he couldn't remember what it was. So he gathered all the wise men, and he brought them before him, and he said, Listen, I need you guys to interpret my dream. There's just one problem. I don't remember what it was. So I can't tell you the dream, but I want you to tell me the interpretation. And the wise men said, Ah, oh king, live forever. That's a way of saying, please don't chop off my head. Uh, if you will tell me the dream, I'll be happy to give you the interpretation. And now the king is thinking, are you guys dull of hearing? Are you not listening to what? I'm not telling you to dream. Either he didn't remember or he didn't want to tell him. But he said, I'm not telling you the dream. I want to know what you have to say is true. So you tell me about what I dreamed without me telling you anything. And you tell me what it meant. And they couldn't do it. So Nebuchadnezzar, he was a hothead. We read about him throughout the book of Daniel. He doesn't get saved until chapter 4 of Daniel, but I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar one day when we come to heaven. But Nebuchadnezzar decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut you guys up in little pieces and throw you on the dung pile out back, and I'm done with wise men. But Daniel happened to be one of the wise men, and he wasn't at the meeting. And he got word that he was about to get chopped up into little pieces and thrown on a pile, and, and he thought he would like to seek the Lord over the dream. So he asked for time. Nebuchadnezzar gave him time. Why? So he could seek the Lord. And he sought the Lord. And the Lord showed him the dream and its interpretation. The dream was he dreamed of a statue. Remember? Head of gold. Chest. Two arms. Silver. Bronze. Iron. Iron mixed with clay. This statue of Nebuchadnezzar which stands for the governments of the world. And as, and as the interpretation came, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Daniel and this interpretation, but what I want to remind you of, do you remember the end? Because in the end it says, a stone 
not cut with hands, came out of the heavens and destroyed it all. And then grew until it filled the whole earth. The stone which the builders rejected. The stone is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that he's the rock. Psalms, all throughout the Psalms, he's the rock. These guys are not missing the point at all. Who of the stone is the chief of the corner? That which you've rejected. That's what you said. I don't want to have anything. I'm focused on the, the governments of this world and on their promises and on what they can do. But the scripture tells us that that stone is going to wipe out all the governments of the world and he will become the government of the world. And reign and rule and peace. Something we've never been able to establish on this earth left to our own without the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the stone. So Peter shares from the scriptures from Psalm 118. And he calls them the builders. You're the builders who rejected him. You cast him aside. So he tells them in verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. Please hear what that says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way to salvation. None. Not man's plan, not someone else's plan, not some other thing. There is no other way to come to salvation. The scriptures declare it. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name that you can hold on to. There's no other road that leads to salvation. This is what the scriptures teach. It's Jesus, period. Salvation comes through him, by him, for him. It's all about him. And so this is the message that Peter is sharing with these guys. He's telling them, hey, there's no other way to be saved. Now, he's laying that out, the the opportunity for salvation, yet again is coming before the members of the Sanhedrin, though their hearts are hardened against what God wants to show them and what God wants to do. But the courage that he has to be, be there, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the boldness to witness relying on the word of God. It's incredible. But the best part is yet to come, guys, because the very next verse in verse 13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that's not what they used to say about Peter. Is it? Remember, still, when he preaches, when he goes from his place and preaches, every once in a while, someone will stand up in the back and cock-a-doodle-doo. Remind him of the denial. Mess with him. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. That's such a nice way to say those Greek words. Moron and idiotes. It means different if we just transliterate it, huh? If we just speak the Greek in the English, it sounds much harsher, doesn't it? They were uneducated and untrained men. They hadn't been to none of the best schools. They hadn't done all these things that they, that they thought they should have done up to this time. And so they're, they're looking at these guys. But look at the next phrase. I love the next phrase. It says, 
And they marveled because they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's the third thing for courage. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, relying on the Word of God, and reflecting Jesus Christ. They looked at him and they saw Jesus through them. They said, oh, these were the guys. Now, when they were with Jesus, they were not such a a great deal. They were knuckleheads, just like everyone else. But when (coughs) when they're filled with the Spirit, relying on the Word, they are reflecting who Jesus is and the people see him. They see him. See, that's a problem in the church so often today. Is the church speaks and it gets behind movements and does things, but it doesn't rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not relying on the Word of God. It relies on its own wisdom, its own power, its own strength, and we don't come off looking like Jesus. We come off looking like a bunch of people that are against all kinds of stuff and no understanding about why. We can still share the same things. And we can still be against the same things. But we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do it. We need to rely on the Word of God to to be our guide. And we need in that to reflect Jesus Christ. One of the shocking things to me is the phrase that Jesus said to the Pharisees. He's standing before the Pharisees and he said to them, Do you know... That tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get to heaven before you. How often was it that Jesus was accused of being a sinner because of the people he was ministering to? He wasn't like them. I reject the concept that he was like them, some type of wine bibber, partying all the time. That's not who Jesus was. But he was reaching out in love to them. And the religious really didn't like it. So Jesus told them, they're going to make it to heaven before you. They're real, at least, in their struggle. They recognize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, but you think you're better than them. Is that still how the church is? A church like Jesus today. Are we like him? Do we sound like him? When people see us drive down the road, do they say, there goes someone driving just like Jesus. I don't, I don't, the scripture doesn't tell us he ever drove, so I'm not sure how he drove. Sometimes it could have been like me. I don't know. Maybe not. Do I reflect him in my life? And more, most importantly, do I reflect him when I'm sharing about him? Do I share him in the power of the Holy Spirit according to what the Word of God teaches, reflecting Jesus Christ? Will they say of me, oh, that's Jackie, he's, he's with Jesus. Do people know what camp you're in? Do all your friends know you come to church today? Will we keep that on the down low? Will they know that you belong to Jesus Christ? Do you reflect who he is?
Because that's what they said of him. Listen to what happened to those charging Peter and John. Listen to these phrases that include their thoughts about the way that they did it. It says in verse 13, they marveled. It says in verse 14, they could say nothing against it. In verse 15, it said they conferred among themselves. In verse 16, it says we cannot deny it. They didn't have an answer for what happens when God's people share God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit looking like Jesus. There's no answer. Listen, we don't need to waste our time arguing about stuff. You ever have people who just want to argue? I got a guy, I forget his name. I think his name's Nelson. Uh, I'm more than happy to tell you his name. I think he goes to our website all the time, so maybe he'll listen. Um, he is a, a Jehovah's Witness. I talked to him the first time about four years ago. He called me when I was pastor uh, at Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel. And he called me and he says, he starts so nice. He says, I have some questions about the Bible. Now, of course, I'm a pastor. I want to help you. Sure. What's your question? Two-hour argument about the Trinity ensues. Now, it doesn't take me very long, based on his argument, to figure out where he's coming from. So, we, you know, we're not, gaining, we're not getting anywhere. I'm just burning daylight. And the Bible says not to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he seem wise in his own eyes. If a guy just wants to argue, then forget about it. Let him talk to himself. I don't have time. If you want to know the truth and we actually want to talk about it and we're trying to get somewhere, I'm all for it. I'll talk to anybody. But I'm not interested in arguing. That's the first time he called me four years ago. About a year later, he called me again at Joshua Springs, asked the same question. And I'm thinking to myself, and this voice sounds familiar. But he says, I have questions about the Bible. And won't you answer my questions about the Bible? Sure, sure. What's your question? Oh, I remember you. So I passed him off to one of the other pastors on staff. <coughs> I said, I, I got to get somebody who hasn't already talked to this guy. So uh, we had a pastor on staff we called Pastor Rambo. Whenever we had somebody that was a pain in the neck, we, we'd give them to him. So we give Nelson to him, and, and he gets on the phone with Nelson. He is on the phone, I swear to you, five minutes at the most. And he's off. And I'm like, how did you get off the phone so fast? He said, I told him he just is interested in arguing, and I'm not interested in arguing. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> wow. I have to learn that one. So three years ago, I came here, and the phone rings. And this fellow on the phone says, hey, my name's Nelson, and I have questions about the Bible. Now, I'm so blown away. I'm like, is this guy chasing me? What is the deal? So once again, because uh, I have to learn, experience, by the way, is the harshest teacher, not the best, in case you were wondering. Sometimes I have to learn by experience. So two more hours of my life I dedicate to trying to answer this guy's question. Now, here's how that phone call ended. At the end of two hours, his final word to me was, you are an idiot, and he hung up. So I'm thinking, well, they said the same thing about Peter and John. But I said, well, at least Nelson won't be calling back. And I gave a defense of the faith. He had no answer for what I brought to him, so he had to call me an idiot and hang up. 
Last week, <laughs> I get this phone call, and this this guy says, "I forget. I think somebody in the in the preschool answered it, and they say, oh, Jackie, somebody's got a question about the Bible.'" And I'm like, "Oh, yippee!" So they hand me the phone, and I, "Hi, this is Jackie." And I, oh, "Hello, this is Nelson." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> Lord, seriously." So he said, I have some questions about the Bible. And so I took Pastor Bob's out this time. I said, look, Nelson, if you want to, to come to know who Jesus Christ is, and you're looking and you're searching, I got all the time in the world for you. But apparently you don't remember. Our last conversation, I was an idiot. I don't know why you're calling me back. I've talked to you four times now. And I can tell you, you're not looking for answers. You're looking for a fight. And I don't have no time for a fight. Have a nice day. I was much less rattled after that. You know, I was much calmer, more soothing. We don't have time to fight. Nobody's asking you to fight. Nobody. If a man or a woman is seeking and wants an answer, then I got all day long to deal with their problems and struggles in the scripture and what they don't understand. And because we're trying to get somewhere, we're actually trying to gain ground. We're interested in finding the truth. Great. Let's go. But if we're not, I don't have time for that. Do you know in the two hours I spent talking to Nelson how many people went to eternity without Christ? Who would have or could have used someone at their bedside to say, Would you like to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I don't have time. I have time for answers from honest seekers. I don't have time for people who just are chasing me around the world, pestering me on the phone. <laughs> I don't have time. Listen, these guys, and when they heard what Peter said, they, they're not really interested in what he has to say, and what they're doing, but they, they were confounded. They had no answer. In verse 17 it says, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, what is wrong with that? You, don't you see people who don't want to know the truth? There's a guy who had withered up legs standing right in front of you. You know he was healed in the name of Jesus Christ. You know that God moved in a mighty way in his life. His life is utterly transformed before you, but you don't care. All you want to do is say, don't say that name anymore. That very much sounds like our country. I used to pray for city council meetings in California when I still lived out there. And the day came when the city council people came to me and said, Jackie, we'd love to have you still pray. You just can't say Jesus' name in your prayer. Oh, don't tell me I can't do something. <laughs> you would be surprised how many ways I can say Jesus and they have no idea what I'm saying. Now, a lot of people would have said, well, forget it, I'm not going to pray. Listen, if anybody needs prayer, it's the city council. They need prayer. <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm there and I'm praying for them. They said I could not use the name of Jesus. I'll pray in the name of Yeshua. That's Jesus' name. It's just not the Greek. It's the Hebrew. They weren't upset about Yeshua until they figured out <laughs> that that's still... Jesus name so we it was kind of fun I was the fun part was figuring out how I was going to say a prayer and get away with saying 
in the name of Jesus at the end. Because I just, it's the rebellion in me. <laughs> Occasionally God uses that for good. Sometimes not so good. So, But we have overcome. Oh, listen what the scripture lays out for them. They, they tell them not to speak in the name. So Peter and John answered and said, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. Again, this word weather is the same. It's, a, it's one of the, the if classified conditions in the first class. What that means is it demands an answer of no. It's a rhetorical question that means you know that we're going to listen to God and not you. That is how strong Peter and John are answering the Sanhedrin who has the power to put them on a cross like they did Jesus. You know we're going to obey God rather than you. We're here to serve God, to honor God. For we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. I will tell you the truth. That's what he's saying. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to tell you lies. I'm not trying to get ahead. I'm not trying to make something up. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. So verse 21 says, So when they had further threatened them, so they still are yelling and screaming at them, We're going to get you. If you don't stop preaching in Jesus' name, we're going to kill you just like we did him. They are severely threatening them. But at the end, they let him go. They let him go because they couldn't argue with the work that God had done. Because standing before them was a 40-year-old man who was utterly and completely changed. Just like standing before you today is a 40-something-year-old man who does not even remotely resemble who he was before Christ was in his life. It's still the transforming power of Jesus Christ that is our best witness to a world that needs to know the truth about who he is. And the question is, will we be faithful to follow the example of those who have gone before us? Peter and John. They didn't just get mad or angry or frustrated by, by what was said. They were filled with the Spirit. How do we get filled with the Spirit? We ask. We ask in belief. We receive. Jesus said, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Once we ask, we want to step out relying on God's Word. How am I going to share God's Word with somebody? Sometimes we read the Scripture that says the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance. And we think what that means is, if I sleep with the Bible next to my bed, as close to my head as it can get, then the stuff inside is going to go in. And the next day, I will be able to... It doesn't work that way. How's it work? You've got to read it. Hey, if you have a hard time reading the Bible and understand, that's why we get together on Sunday, so that we can talk about something in the Word. And once you've received what we've talked about, you have opportunity that you can share that with anybody else. You have seven days a week that you can put the word and you can plug the word in. Daniel was called a man beloved of God. Why? Because he was focused on God's word, morning, noon, and night. That was who he was. If we commit to that, the stuff you read, my wife has a one-year Bible. She reads her one-year Bible every single day. And there's always stuff in that one-year Bible that we can talk about, that we can use, that she can share with others. It's a simple thing. 
She just gets up in the morning and reads it. And whatever she reads, that's what she uses whenever she has opportunity to share, witness, or, or counsel, or help somebody. Relying on the power of the Holy Spirit by asking for His Spirit to fill me to overflowing. Relying on the Word of God, I will look like Jesus. If I leave those other two out, I will look like me. (laughs) Nobody wants to have to see that. We want to look like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you so much for this time we can come together and study your word for the opportunity that we have in this place. And God, I pray that, that Lord, you would help us as, as believers, those who are trusting their life to you. We want to look like you. And sometimes we think it happens out of our performance, how we look on the outsider, if we cut this out of our life or that out of our life. But Really, it's even simpler than that. I need to rely on being filled with the Holy Spirit by asking you to fill me by reading your word and relying on the scripture. I will look like you. That's it. It's actually so much easier than than I thought it was going to be. I don't have to assume I got to look like somebody else or act like somebody else or be like somebody else. If I allow allow the Word of God to do its work in my life and the Holy Spirit is welcome within me, I'm going to have compassion on whom I should have compassion. And I'm going to convict those who need convicted, rebuke those who need rebuked. But when it's all said and done... It will seem just like like Jesus would have done it. Lord, we want to look like you. We want to be like you. We want to honor you. So God, we come before you this morning and we just pray as a body. Fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Help us to make your word part of our life that we might be like you. And when people see us, they will see Jesus. And they'll want what they see. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and magnified in this place. And we are all thankful. We all started as something else. But that's not who we are anymore. We all began as a guilty man. But you have washed us. You have cleansed us. You have redeemed us. You have justified in our sanctifying us. And we are completely new in you. So thankful for that newness of life found in you. Indeed, we are thankful that you have set us free from our iniquities. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in a word of worship. We want to invite you to worship with us. Immediately afterwards, we're going to get wet. So I encourage you to hang out and be a witness to those who are being baptized this morning. Right out in the fellowship hall afterwards, we'll meet for the taters. God bless you guys and go in peace.